the Sunday Sermons Podcast. There's a story that uh, I read about Billy Graham. One of uh, his supporters had a dream about him that he had died and gone to heaven. And as soon as Billy arrived in heaven, here came an angel with a beautifully jeweled crown and was ready to place it on his head. And he said, that's not my crown. I can't take that. That crown belongs to this person over here. This person prayed for my ministry many times every day of his life. They prayed for my crusades and just prayed that those crusades would be so fruitful. Prayed diligently for those. And I have to say that that crown belongs to them. It's because of their prayers that God gave power to my preaching, gave power to convict those people who came forward to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's not my crown. Give that crown to them. Now, when Billy got that story, he said, you know what? I think that's talking about something very true. Because the success of my ministry was due to the prayers of other people. And everything that we're going to be doing here from this point on, well, it has been all along, but from this point on, we're going to need prayer, and we're going to need prayers that are effective and powerful so that we can bear much fruit for God, which is what God wants. Now, as Christians, we would say that we know and believe that prayer is very important to us, but we don't always match what we know and believe with what we do. And our problem isn't the way we, our problem isn't the way we talk about prayer. We know it's powerful. Our problem is the way that we treat prayer because there's not a complete lack of prayer, but there's just too little time involved in prayer. And when prayer is minimal and infrequent, it reinforces the assumption uh, that we don't really need God. We can get along fine without Him. Our problem then is we treat prayer as minimal. And it just reinforces that, that false assumption that we're okay without God. And that God is only needed in special situations, not all. We, we tend to pray during a crisis, but once that crisis has passed, prayer is not needed as much. And it only is meant to take care of things that we can't handle on our own. There's a Methodist minister named Samuel Chadwick, and he wrote this. He said, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies or prayerless work or prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks our wisdom. But he trembles when we pray because then we're calling on a power much greater than he is to join us in our life. Now, what makes our prayers more powerful? This is what we want to look at today because we want prayers that are effective. In Luke, the 11th chapter, the disciples came to Jesus and asked him to teach them how to pray. But that model prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer began with 
the lesson, first of all, in embracing the important relationship with God as our Father. He could have said, oh great and almighty, wonderful God, omniscient, omnipresent, all of these things. He said, I want you to pray like this, our Father. What a difference. And everything that Jesus Christ taught that makes the New Testament new and better than the old is summed up in this fatherhood of God for us. The Israelites, anytime they wanted to talk about God, it was God. Father is the Christian name for God. That's what makes the difference. When we pray our Father, we remind ourselves of his compassion despite our flaws and our weaknesses. We remind ourselves of his patience, his care, his provisions, his wisdom, his discipline, his love. Now, in my reading, I came across this quote from J.I. Packer, and I think it says volumes about this. Here's what he said. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls and his worship and his prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not really understand Christianity very well at all. This is what makes it all new. This is what makes it wonderful and powerful. Rick Warren describes it in a different way. He said the problem of our lacking appreciation for God isn't that you don't love God enough. You don't understand how much God loves you. Because if you did, you couldn't help but love him more. Makes a difference. And Jesus, in talking about his father, said this. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Wow. Our relationship with God as our Father is a relationship in which asking is central. It's desirable. God wants us to come and to ask. So this makes it very important for us to ask regularly, fearlessly, sincerely, expectantly, and humbly for God to work in our lives in all the right ways. And we also need to understand that God likes our requests and invites us to be persistent. Wow. Be persistent in asking for what we know that God would like to do. Now Jesus told two very important parables about persistence. One is about a man who's going to his friend at midnight to ask for three loaves of bread to feed an unexpected traveler who had just arrived. His friend's reaction was this, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't give up and I can't get up and give you anything. But Jesus concludes the story saying, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, there's an important lesson here. Keep in mind what this person was asking. This was not a selfish request. 
He was asking for resources that he did not have to do something in the name of love and compassion for the honor and glory of God. And Jesus said about this, he said, this is the lesson. If a reluctant, annoyed friend will give you what you ask for because of your persistence, how much more will your heavenly Father give to you what you ask? He told another parable about this, about a persistent widow. And Luke records, he wrote this, or gave this, to show them that they should always pray and never give up. The story is about a widow who wanted to get justice against her adversary. But the judge was reluctant to do so. But after much persistence, he finally consents because she kept bothering him. And he wanted that to be done. Now, that's not saying what we want to believe about God. The lesson is this. If a corrupt judge will see that justice is done because of the persistence of someone, how much more will God hear us and take action for us? That's our Father. Now, do we realize how important persistence is in asking? Bringing our requests day by day until they are resolved. And persistence in praying is an unmistakable feature of the teaching that Jesus gave us on prayer. But there's one other danger and one other consequence that, that we need to realize about not praying and not asking and not being persistent. Do we realize that the less we pray, the more we leave God out of our lives. And the more that we leave God out of our lives, the less that we connect with God. And the less we connect with God, the less we grow spiritually and the less our lives are going to be changed to produce anything of value to the kingdom. We need to pray. We need to be persistent. Now, I want us to look now at a very important teaching that Christ gave his apostles the night before he was crucified. And what he's teaching here relates very specifically to prayer and also to our lives being of great value to the kingdom by bearing much fruit. This is found in John, the 15th chapter, in verses 1 through 8. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the words I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers, and such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. 
This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Rehash a little bit of this. God's the gardener. He trims, he cultivates the branches uh, with the goal of having the best quality and the greatest abundance of fruit in production. Jesus is the vine, and it is only from connection with him that branches can draw all that they need to be productive in producing, in producing the quality and quantity of fruit that the gardener wants. Now we are the branches, and we are to produce what the gardener desires. If a branch is producing nothing, the gardener cuts it off, removing our connection from the vine. But if the gardener sees that we as a branch are producing fruit, he prunes it so we can produce more. So it is to our advantage for our lives to be producing what the gardener desires. Now we need to realize that cutting off and pruning are essential. Cutting removes those branches that otherwise are of no value whatsoever in producing the harvest that the gardener wants. Pruning is simply removing the growth on a plant that will impede the fruit production so that it will produce more. So what Jesus is teaching is that God wants to remove those things from our lives that prevent us from being as productive as God wants and as we could be if those things were removed. Bearing fruit, that's a church word. A lot of people don't understand that. What does it mean about bearing fruit? Because that's what this overall context is about. And Jesus said, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So what's bearing fruit? I think it's simply any kind of personal spiritual growth or any spirit-led activity that leads to a positive expression or expansion of the kingdom of God. It's any obvious ministry to others or church-related service. It also includes leading other people to Christ. Now, we are intended as Christians to manifest the qualities and the purpose of Christ in our lives. And the only way that we can do that is by maintaining our connection with Christ and asking for what we need to produce God's desired results. Now, at first glance, this passage that we've been reading, uh, the emphasis of this metaphor seems to be only about the importance of very productive lives for Christ. But if we look a little bit deeper, there are three important truths that were very clear in this metaphor related to obtaining power in prayer. The first truth is this, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine connected to Christ. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And for emphasis, he says it again a little bit stronger. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, Jesus was not saying that people could absolutely do no thing apart from him. We can walk, run, play, live, work, gain a salary, 
have a living and so forth. But in the context of remaining and abiding in Jesus, he says we can do nothing to accomplish things of an eternal, holy, and spiritually meaningful nature apart from our connection to Christ. Now, talking about staying in connection, we're also saying we need to think about prayerlessness. This attitude that I talked about that thinks I don't need him all the time, only for special things, only in a crisis. So I live a lot of my life without much prayer. But the second truth here says the importance of remaining and staying connected to Christ is our life source. Jesus said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Now the promise is double conditional, two conditions that need to be met before that promise can be fulfilled. First, as branches, we have to remain connected to Jesus in order to be spiritually alive and produce that fruit. Now to really understand this, we need to understand the meaning of remain, the word that's used here. This word is important because Jesus uses it seven times in these eight verses here. This word, remain in me, is in the imperative mood. In other words, it's a command. But it's an ongoing command. And it's like Jesus is saying this, Remain in me and don't move. Remain in me, don't leave. Stay in this connection. Now, the Greek word minnow can be translated remain or abide. I like the word abide because this has ideas of ongoing personal action. Remain seems to be a more passive connotation. But what are we talking about when we're talking about abiding in Christ? I think it's like a mindset, an attitude to start with. It's like being at home with him. I am most comfortable in my life when I am in strong connection with Jesus. I get very uncomfortable, very unhappy. Multiple problems arise when that connection gets weak. Now. We're at home with him. We love him. We trust him. It's like being with him as a very faithful friend who always has our best interest in mind. We learn from him. And we know that following his advice or directions always lead us down the right path, even if they're difficult words to accept sometimes. So abiding is more of an attitude, more of a mindset more of how we live our life, knowing that apart from Christ, we can do nothing of eternal value. Now, I wanna say one other thing, and I hope this is encouraging. Did you notice that there is nothing in this about abiding perfectly? Because we can't, we are imperfect. Now. I, I know we are not as consistent as we would like to be, but our occasional sin and our imperfections do not separate us from the vine. 
I know we feel inadequate before God so often, and we forget about him at oftentimes during the day. But we haven't left Jesus, have we? We're still with him. We keep coming back for more and more of him. And whether you're aware that you're making progress or not, you're drawing closer to the Lord and learning more and more of his word and are always, all these things, always being closer, learning more, being more productive, is always at the top of our list, isn't it? Now, how could this not be considered abiding in him and having his words abiding in us? Now, sure, we strive for perfection more and more, don't we? More consistent. But God saves us by his grace, knowing we're never going to be perfect. Now, but let's talk about Christ's words abiding in us. When Jesus said his apostles were already clean because of the word I've spoken to you, the word that he used in Greek was logos. And this referred to the whole body of Jesus' ministry and teaching up until that time. But in verse 7, he uses a different Greek word, remata, and it has a different meaning. In its plural form, it refers to the specific words, teachings, and commands of Jesus that will empower us to be obedient, to grow spiritually, to carry the gospel forward, and to pray in accord with the will of God. Now, his words abiding in us, it's the same type of devotion that Jesus had when he was facing temptation with the devil. You remember what he said? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. And here's that word in its singular form there, rhema. Every word, every command, every teaching that comes from the mouth of God. That's his words abiding in us. And these two conditions, when we combine them perfectly, they're designed to keep us connected with Jesus, the vine. He is our only source for spiritual life and fruit bearing. And his words to abide like second nature, guiding us every step of the way. It's by his words that we live and that he lives in us and that we will know even know what to ask the Father in prayer. But then Jesus concludes with this verse. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Does Jesus really mean that? Anything that we wish? Well, let me talk about that a little bit. This is in a metaphor up until verse 6. But this last verse that I read, I will give you anything, that's verse 7. There's no, not any metaphorical language in that. This is Jesus talking directly to us here. And he says what he means. And we have to deal with it. Now it seems that even though serious Christians spend a lot more time attempting to figure out why doesn't God answer our prayer? And what, what went wrong here? rather than focusing on how excited God is to answer our request and give us what we ask for. Do we realize how many promises Jesus made like this? This is one, not just this one verse. In John 14, 12, 
Jesus said, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater works than these because I'm going to my Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Look at this verse again. When Jesus says, very truly I tell you, you know that the very next thing that he says is going to be truth, right? And then twice he says, I will do whatever you ask in my name. And secondly, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. But he even said that they would do greater works than they had seen him do. Now, were these promises just for the apostles? Are these promises just for the super spiritual Christians? You know, I've only been quoting from the Gospel of John, but we would expect to find similar promises in John's epistles that would apply to the average Christian. And we do. Listen to this, 1 John 3, 21 and 22. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. I even like the quote, the, the question that Paul asked in Romans the eighth chapter. He says this, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. Are you getting the feeling that we're missing something in prayer here? Have we had too many powerless prayers? Why? I want us to be praying about that during these next 40 days. We seem afraid of scriptures like this and confused by them and embarrassed about them. We say it's not been that way with me on everything. I've had a lot of prayers not answered. And our first thought seems to be, doesn't seem to be, to rejoice and give thanks in the hope and the joy that these passages bring us, but rather to explain them away. Put some qualifications there. Find some loopholes. Now, I'm well aware, and I think you all are well aware too, of the abuse that these promises have had. Uh, from the health and wealth gospel, but we should not miss out on the tremendous blessings of fruit bearing connected with answered prayer. We should recapture those promises for the Lord's true purpose. A little bit more, there's two types of asking here. We often may ask for things that may not be mission critical for bearing much fruit. They seem to be outside of what Jesus had in mind here. We have many needs, many wants, that are not on the front lines of fruit bearing. 
But God is attentive even to those requests, and he will work with us about these requests. And we can trust him to evaluate them properly, and we can count on his love. And here's why. He's our father. It's all part of building a valuable relationship of connection with our father. Now, God is our father enjoys blessing us with good gifts in the same way that we enjoy giving special gifts to our children. But due to children's immaturity, some requests are very selfish. Some requests are not needed. Some requests are not in their best interest. And it is up to us as the parent, as the father, to sort of gauge that and say, now I love you anyway. And I think God does this. We lay our wants and our goals and our dreams before us and he searches us and he speaks back to us. J.I. Packer wrote these things. When we have a prayer conversation with God involving requests, he is asking questions about our asking. And he searches our hearts and interacts with our requests. Cause us to think, why, why do you ask for this? How, how do you think that this aligns with my will? Now, all of this provides for correction, for direct discipline from the Holy Spirit. God is teaching us more about prayer as we pray about these things and as we ask. But keep in mind, Samuel Ch Simon Chad said, real asking, real giving, real receiving are deep interchanges between friends. And who's a closer friend than our God, our Father, our Savior? Okay, so here we have an understanding. Let's recap a bit. Number one, we have an understanding of what God wants in our lives to bear much fruit for his glory. Second, we understand how we can fulfill God's desire. Abide in Christ and his words abide in us. And we understand that God wants to remove things from our lives that keep us from bearing as much fruit as he desires and as much fruit as we could. And if we allow him to prune our lives and fulfill those two conditions, we have a great promise. He will give us what we ask and what we need, and we'll be able to bear much fruit for his glory. Isn't this what we want? I don't think there's a person in this room right now that says, I'm not really concerned about doing much for God. I just want to be saved. Come on, I know you better than that. This is what we want, isn't it? And. We don't want to fill our lives or to spend our lives doing things that have little eternal value because one day we're going to stand before him and we want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. There was a man named C.T. Studd who was a world-renowned cricket player at the Cambridge University in 1880. But at the age of 24, he came to Christ under the preaching of Dwight L. Moody. And he gave up his, his dreams of athletic fame 
saying he wanted to make every moment of his life count for Christ. And he wrote, what is all the fame and flattery worth when a man comes to face eternity? How could I spend the best years of my life in living for the honors of this world when thousands of souls are perishing every day? Now later in life, I'm glad I found this out, he penned an inspirational poem familiar to Christians around the world for generations. And part of that was on a little plaque in my grandmother's dining room. It'll be the last part of this uh, one stanza that I read for you. But listen, here's one of the stanzas from that, what he wrote. Only one life, yes, only one, and soon its fleeting hours will be done. Then, in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. A.C.T. Studd remained in Christ, serving him for nearly 50 years on three different continents. He lived his life abiding in Christ and letting Christ's words abide in him, and he bore much fruit for God's glory because he allowed God to prune his life of things that didn't really have an eternal value and only brought him glory instead of God. I, I wish that I knew more of the great answers to prayer that he received because of remaining and asking, because he bore much fruit for his glory. Now, I know this congregation. We are abiding in Christ, aren't we? as I've described it, not perfectly, but we're not leaving. We keep coming back for more. We want more production out of our lives. And I know that his words abide in us and why we live striving to do, to be what Christ wants. Don't we then qualify to trust God to answer our requests for his glory? We've been bearing fruit so God is wanting to do some pruning. And during these next 40 days, let's be asking what he wants to prune in our lives, what he wants to change, what he could change so that we could bear much fruit for his glory. Let's be more faithful in asking, praying for God's blessings, for the things that we need to be productive for him. Let's keep persisting. Let's keep trusting. Let's keep expecting our Lord to answer our prayers so that we can bear much fruit for his glory. And let's pray that our efforts in moving forward will bear much fruit. Invitation time at the end of a sermon. You may not want to come forward. This might be a very private moment for you with God where you're just saying, I have been bearing fruit. I would like to bear more fruit. God, what needs to go? What needs to stay? What needs to increase? This is a time for real self-examination, but it's also a time for making a decision. And if it's a decision that you want to share publicly, 
to just say, I want to dedicate my life more fully to Christ. Or maybe you're here without being in Christ, and you'd like to take care of that and give your life to the Lord this morning. Maybe you've been attending here for some time and have not placed membership, and you want to be a part of what we're doing for Christ. Come forward. Become part of our family here as we stand and sing.